Recorded live. He is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such as these aforementioned in my name receives me. Now that makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. But whosoever causes one of these, it says little ones, or these subservients who believe in me to stumble, whoever causes one of them to stumble, it's not good. Now that makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? You've got this person that's given his life over to Christ. And now you have introduced stumble. So that's a problem. You've created a problem for this person that's serving Christ. And then here's what it would be better for you to have this millstone hung around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. And then we talk about stumbling blocks. Woe, curses to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that you will encounter these stumbling blocks. But curses to that man through whom that stumbling block comes. And if, I mean, to me, those are, very, very powerful words about two issues there. And, you know, essentially you said it right off the bat when you said whoever becomes the least shall become the greatest. That's a double witness, isn't it? Because if you're subservient, you're not high and muddy in the world, are you? Well, no, and and the way Christ put it is that unless you become subservient or unless you become willing to serve, you're of no good. You're of no good and no value. It's interesting that you keyed in on the word child because obviously the the, the word child or children has quite a bit of latitude in Scripture and. Um, Joseph was called a child when he was about 16 years of age in Genesis uh, 37, uh, 3, when uh, Benjamin uh, uh, was about 30 years in Genesis 44, um, he was called a child. Um, That's one of the things it said in Webster's Dictionary it was not necessarily connected to age. Now, I'd never heard that before. So that's sort of a double. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it has a wide range, a wide latitude. There's there's no doubt about it. And, okay, so somebody says, well, in this particular scripture, it says he called a child unto him and set him in the midst of them. Okay, well, that could have been a child from, say, the years, uh, if we're going to go with child, it could be a child from 5 to 16 or 19 or 20, you know, uh, 20, 20, uh, 20 years of age accountability. So, 
any of those ranges um, would have been possible. Now, in my mind, I'm thinking what predominantly I've learned is that the age of 10, 11, and 12 would have yeah. probably probably been something that would have, you know, been likely the type of child that he would have drawn unto him in this scenario. And the reason I say that is because Christ was 12 years old when he began to speak in the temple, you recall, when Joseph and Mary had, had left and, and realized that he was not in the in the company. And um, that was typical of children about 12 years of age. Um, They had learned enough uh, scripture and learned enough about the word of God and and God's demands and so forth on them that they were able, you know, or should have been able to articulate uh, an understanding of, God's command and his expectation of his people. So um, so we could split hairs and say, okay, maybe it was you know a child of, of about that age. Um, and then going on to where he says, except you be converted and become as little children, it's still number 3813. And you know in Strong's it, it, it's young child, a little boy, a little girl, um, <clears throat> you know, uh, reading. what I said, keep reading. Have you got it there? Uh, well, I'm looking at Strong's. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah. Yeah. It says little boy, little girl, and then keep, what does it say after that? Uh, it says children, little ones, infants, and infant of a male child just recently born, of more advanced child, of mature child, metaphorically children like children in intellect for cinnamon synonyms. Uh, uh, it says to see 5686. So I don't have in my strongs uh, on this particular program. I don't have. Uh, you said uh, refers to. Uh, see, in 3814, it says, 3813 refers to exclusively little children. 3814 refers to late childhood and early youth. And 3816 refers to a child of any age. Well, maybe I missed something. Let me double check here. Uh, because I I had never seen the rest of those words that I was talking about for child. And and I'm thinking, I was just thinking, you know, how much understanding does a child have? That's the part that got me. Um, so that, that's why I got curious about it. Well, and, and of course, the point being made that he's making here is that whosoever therefore shall humble themselves as this little child, um, the same is, he says, is greatest in the kingdom. And whoso uh, shall receive one child in my name receives me, but whoso shall offend 
one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that he be a millstone be cast around his neck and <coughs> and drowned in the depths of the seas. So, and that that's that's the point is you look at some of the things we were talking about last week about how people are incapable of thinking for themselves. So you take and you apply this scripture here where God, where Christ conveys that you take and you manipulate uh, this child's understanding and turn him away from me, um, there's a great consequence for that. So there's a lot of people that have been turning a lot of children away from Christ and and that understanding that they have of him and their belief on him. And it's it's clearly going to be not boding well for those that are doing that. But notwithstanding, the, the child has to be humble enough to receive and accept. And then, as you started out saying, be subservient to the command and the will. And... So even those who who may think they're safe because they believe they have to also have another aspect of that, which is, you know, that servant understanding to go out and do the will, to not only do the will, the duty to the will, the carrying out of the will, the submission to the will, and so forth. So there's a profound responsibility that is carried with it. Yeah. Yeah, here's... I don't know how you say the Greek word. Um, but on 38.14, at the end, it says, uh, servant girls, servant girls, slave girls, slaves, and women. So I was just thinking that the person that can get Jesus in the proper priority would be one of the greatest in the kingdom. Person that has that has that down. Uh and I guess our example is John the Baptist, isn't it? Because he said that he was the greatest uh, man born born of a earthly woman or something like that. Yeah, Christ referred. Uh, I see what you're saying is that Christ said that there's no greater man born of a woman than that of John the Baptist, and and he even said that he uh, that who was it that he was referring to or the person that he was trying to express would certainly be greater than him. So um, that was bringing John the Baptist quite low uh, in theory while um, 
others were being raised up and and that's the whole point of a servant i you know i don't find that it's it's out of line that you're keying in on the servant which does happen at 3814 um and frankly let me look at 3816 see even 3816 when you go to the synonyms for all of these 3813s um Many of the synonyms, such as 3816, 3817, 3814, 3808, um, uh, uh, for example, on my 3816, it says, and are we not attendants and servants if we are children of Christ? Yes, that's what we're supposed to be. Uh, we cast off the self to become the servant of the commander. And that that has always been what has been conveyed, Old Testament and New Testament. You... Adam and Eve stood in the garden and decided they wanted to be as gods. But Christ says, and God said, no, you are to not be, you are not to be as gods, you are to be a servant of the Most High God. Well, man doesn't like being in the servant relationship, they prefer to be as gods. And why I have no idea because they fail miserably as gods, um, so they'd be better off just to be children. That way, they can at least say that they were stupid and dumb and ignorant. Did Did you read thirty eight sixteen? Uh, fifty eight or thirty eight? Thirty eight sixteen. Yeah. Yeah, 3816 was the first one that I had. It's a child, boy or girl, infants, children, servant, slave, and attendant, servant. That's why I say all of these, 3816, 3814, 3813, they all refer to the same thing. In fact, you go to 3817, uh, 3816, which derives from 3817, it was used ten times as a servant, seven times as a, as a child. And, and and that's what we claim to be, isn't it? Uh, exactly. You're exactly right. As servants, and we've got to at least humble ourselves um, to be the servant that we're supposed to be. John the Baptist was a servant. He went out and did exactly what he was to do as a servant of Christ and fulfilled his role. While the, the While you recall some of the... Pharisees and so forth reported back that that uh, uh, Christ um, baptizes more people than John the Baptist. Even though Christ didn't personally baptize, the scripture refers to that, that Christ didn't specifically baptize, or maybe it's Josephus, that Christ didn't perform any of those baptisms himself, but they thought that that would get you know, John the Baptist um, you know, while he's sitting there, you know, in prison uh, by saying, well, this guy, you know, does more than you. And he says, well, simply, I must decrease so another may increase. And 
that's what we do. We decrease. Even as parents in the parent-child relationship, that's exactly what we do <clears throat> is that <clears throat> over time, obviously, we decrease. But our our instruction is so that the child increases because we're waxing away. You know, our days go from young to old, and, and so therefore we're trying to wax them stronger and stronger as we become, you know, older and weaker. <clears throat> so it's no new novelty or anything. It all follows, you know, common sense and logic, like you've often said. Um, you know, in fact, it, it tells you in mine, it says if you compare these uh, 3816, Okay, so 3813 refers exclusively to little children. 3808 refers to a child up to his first school years. 3816 refers to a child of any age. 3814 refers to late childhood and early youth. But it says at 3816 and 5043, that word denotes a child alike as respects to descent and age, reference to the later being more prominent in the former word, to descent in 38.13, but the period 38.16 covers is not sharply defined, and in classical usage, as in modern, youthful designations cleave to the female sex longer than to the male. Now, the point I'm getting at here is that it says, compare 50.43 and 52.07, 50.43 gives prominence to physical and outward aspects of parentage. So, as a comparison of 3816 and 5043, um, it's telling us it gives prominence to physical and outward aspects of parentage. 5207 gives prominence to the inward ethical legal aspects of parentage. So, I find that interesting because I'm not a wordsmith, but I try to take the time to understand and I look at that just as I said, the parent-child relationship is what Christ continues to convey. It's no different as we would do in a parent-child relationship. We call those children unto us and we say, you, you, we receive this child in the name of Christ and therefore we receive Christ. And when we manifest out to that child the things and the instructions in which he is to receive as a new servant, then we we fulfill that. But when we, even as parents, cause that little one to stumble, who may believe without a believing parent, it would be far better for us that we had a millstone hanged around our neck and drowned in the depth of the sea. So it comes right back to nothing new to us in that this parent-child relationship and analogy that I often use is is very, you know, very appropriate. So, for what it's worth. Well, for what it's worth, I also did look up converted and that's uh, basically transformed from one thing to something else. So, two things there happen, and um, I don't don't know 
what caused was it Paul on the road to Damascus or yeah. Saul? What something caused him to transform? Did yeah, he birth? he saw he saw Christ the, that which he was persecuting. So essentially, he saw the light, didn't he? Yeah. And whether it be it, it has to be our will. It seems like to me to initiate that transformation. Now, you tell me what you think on that. It, is that that is submission on our part, isn't it? Yes, it is. It's very much so. Each, you know, God has given us enough free will or free agency to accept, acknowledge, and believe upon. Uh huh. And and, and, that, and that that causes a conversion. Yes. From or a repentance is similar. You're going one direction. And you find out the vertical or the correct, and you choose that that path. And so you convert it from a from an angle to straight up or a deep path. And so step one, you converted, and then you you didn't wear a haughty face, did you? You realized. The key, the keys to the kingdom, actually, didn't you? Yeah, you, you humbled yourself and said, "I am not so great. I'm not so big. I'm not so, you know, uh, whatever those things were uh, that you were, you know, uh, of the opinion of yourself." And uh-huh. began, you began to see the world uh, or your existence in it as much bigger and much different. And so now, at this point, you're humbling on earth, but you're elevating in heaven, in the kingdom, aren't you? Yes. And so, um, we, uh, what was the word? Uh, read it again. Well, we know that a kingdom is uh, is synonymous with a government or leadership. Um, so isn't it, it's exactly opposite of the way the world works, is my point. Yeah. If you want to be, maybe the key word there is greatest. What does that mean? Let's, let's see. Well, greatest is thirty-one eighty-seven. Um, it is um, midazone or mezone, and in regular comparative of. 3173, uh, the authorized version used is greater, 
34 times and greatest nine times. Um, it's an adjective of comparative, so greater, larger, elder, stronger. Um, so who is the greater, who is the elder, who is the, uh, you know, the, lead, the leading uh, uh, person in, in the kingdom? And uh, when you go to 3173, um, great of the external form or sensible appearance of things, in particular of space and its dimensions, mass, weight, great, compass and extent, of number and quantity, numerous, large, abundant, of age, the elder, used of intensity and in degrees with great effort of the affections and emotions of the mind, of natural events powerfully affecting the senses, violet, uh, let me read. Let me read uh, uh, the origin of the word. Okay. Big, big, tall, thick, stout, massive, coarse, from West Germanic, grautas, coarse, thick. Source of old Saxon grot, old Frisian grot, Dutch root, German gross. If the original sense was coarse, it is perhaps from pie root, gray to rub, grind, but the connection is not freely from difficulty. It took over much of the sense of the Middle English mickle and itself now is largely largely superseded by big and large, except in reference to non-material things. In the sense of excellent, wonderful, great is attested from the 1848 Great White Way. I don't think any more of that to add to it. Uh, Special would be a good uh, analogy. The point here is, we want to be all that we can be, don't we, Doug? Yeah, sure. I mean, we should shoot for that as our goal, shouldn't we? Yeah. And now, we, now we have here a recipe for that goal, don't we? I mean, that's pretty profound. If you can get it, come to the understanding. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, there's, uh, uh, now, I guess, go ahead. In that same vein, it was asked of me, and this is a whole nother can of worms. I was asked to explain and expound upon at the end of the chapter in verse 18. And all I could do was was say this is meat here and we've got to chew on it. And I'll read it to you now if you will, if you're okay with it or if you wanted to add something else to that other, I'm all ears. No, go ahead. And I know I'm reading this out of context, forgive me, but we can put it in context. Truly, in verse 18, I say to you, 
Whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if any two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. Now, do you agree with me that that's pretty meaty? Well, it is, but there's a context to this, and and I realize you preface by saying you you are reading it out of context. Um, remember, this is the famous Matthew 18. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> and um, there's there's a, a substance to this that that has to be you know uh, dealt, dealt with. Okay. Yeah. Deal with it, Doug. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault. And uh, this is the what this is all prefacing on. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. If he neglects to hear, then so forth. Verily I say unto you that whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Now, Pastor Peters did a teaching on this, and I don't really believe that he addressed the teaching this way. I don't think I don't think he did address it well either. That's why I brought it to your attention. I was yeah. hoping, I was hoping maybe you could give me some clarity here. Yeah, so in the context what are we talking about? Clearly what happened we're talking about what happened in what verses 14 is where I started, but it may be a tad bit ahead of 14. Let's see. Uh, 12, uh, 13 is about the sheep and going after the one. And if so, you find barely you rejoice, even so it is the will of your father. Well, there, 14. Even so, it is not the will of your Father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should stumble. Moreover, if thy brother... So again, what is the whole context? The whole context has to do with stumbling. The whole context has to do with, he just said, you need to be as one of these little ones. You need to humble yourselves. And you need to come into the proper alignment as a servant. Moreover, if your brother shall trespass against thee as a servant, you go to the brother and say, hey, you done wrong. And when he says, hey, go spit, you say, no, not acceptable. So when your brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and your brother, let's see, did that skip me down, uh, between thee and him alone. Uh, But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more. And in the matter, uh, let's see, I should probably close my strong so it quits toggling me too far. Uh, But if you will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if you shall neglect to hear them, again, what are we talking about? 
Christ just said, humble yourself to become in line. Do not cause one of my little ones to stumble. It's all still part of the same context, isn't it? So yes. if he, and, and, if, and I think it would be safe to add in there where you said little one, a new convert. Absolutely, because that's what it means. If you take a little one, and of course, as I say, the word has wide latitude. Just because he pulls a child under him and said, you've got to be as this little child, humble enough and able to be humbled enough to do that which is within my will. And he talks about casting an eye out. If your eye offends, if your eye can't stay away from doing things that I should not do, pluck it out. Because it'd be better for you to go into the kingdom of heaven, halt and maim, than it would be to have the eye that offends you. Because it's done you a disservice. You know, that's up there in, what, 10, 8, 9, 11, uh, somewhere. I've got to scroll back up on my screen here. But... Go back to 17. I think that's where we last were. And that's where it was. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. What does that mean? Tell it unto the kingdom of God. And if you tell it unto the kingdom of God, but he neglects to hear the church and their response to it, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. A publican. So you cast him out. Otherwise, you're supposed to, this person, if he's humbled, should be able to be received and restored. Again, I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything, that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. What is the context here? The context of binding and loosing has to do with binding a brother in Christ to Christ or loosing a brother in Christ from Christ. Okay, Isn't so, so that what you get? The action of letting him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer is the loosening. That's correct. And... A Gentile, for simplification, is a, is a, another. Na- it's a foreign nation, isn't it? Yeah, and the the term Gentile gets improperly translated a lot. So, um, but you know, but if, we know we know what a tax gatherer is. Yeah. <laughs> There's, and so that's kind of like the plague. Well, uh, a tax gatherer... Uh, it's ta- somebody we avoid, isn't it? Well, the tax gatherer was predominantly dishonest. Because they, they always came to you and said you owed more than you actually did. Or, you know, in other words, they were predominantly dishonest. But they were good at what? Extorting from the people that which they needed. So I'm, uh, I'm thinking here as let him be to you as a this and a that is saying 
like a rattlesnake, be very, very cautious because you have reason to be cautious. If this fellow has refused to listen to the rebuke, he's refused to listen with witnesses, he's refused to to accept it with the church, now you have something that you had better be very careful with because it could be destructive. Am I right in that thinking? Yeah. um, Give me a little more clarity to your thinking on the full. Well, um, when you bind, the part about binding now you're brought together. Uh, let's say your brother sins, you reprove him, and he accepts it. Now you're just bound together, right? You've bound. You, there's been some binding there because he says you've won your brother. Right? Wouldn't that have to do with the the binding? Well, okay, the word bind is is very important. What do you suppose the word bind means? Well, I'm thinking joining, but I think it also has something to do with one. W-O-N. With what? With what? W-O-N in my translation. It says if he listens to you, and we're talking about your brother... If he takes the rebuke and says, you know what? You got a point. Now you've won your brother. And 15 is what I'm talking about. Yeah. In in 1818? 18, 18, or 1815? Is that what 18, you said? 1815, yeah. We're, we're seeing here the way it's supposed to be done. Uh, Doug sins against me. I go to Doug, and I say, Doug, you did this, and it was wrong. And you go, you know what? You're right. That was wrong. Me and you have become bound together in a, a unique way. I mean, we've 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 had a what do they call it uh, we've had a breakthrough haven't we yeah um okay now, so i i go ahead suppose you don't let's suppose you say screw you right and i go get three more of my top church aides and you go no change still feel the same and then we tell it to the church. <laughs> and this particular subject refuses to listen to the judgment of the church. Now he's got to be loosed from the fellowship, doesn't he? Yes. Okay. So we solidified with the one action and we loosened with the other action, right? Correct. And and that's why I say the word bind is very instructive because 
bind means to bind as in law or put under an obligation. So whatever whatever you have done in your in your binding me together to you with Christ, that is is of a duty, is of a responsibility, and therefore what we bind together is bound in a heavenly sense and understanding. And what we loose is also loose. So if we loose if we loose a brother who has formerly been bound that brother's got to be rebound somehow. And the only way he re- gets rebound or is rebinded is that he comes to his senses of what the church says. And he comes back to the church and comes before the church or the brother and says, I have sinned. Okay, let's and, look at another scenario right quick. All right. And if your brother sins... Don't go to him. Um, I was was trying to think how we saw it happen in a different way. Where you, you go to your brother and you try to bind him and it doesn't work. You take two or three witnesses, it doesn't work. And you go to the church and the church doesn't want to hear about it, and it turns on you. Yeah. And then you, you, I mean, this is just mind-boggling. You stand up there and you preach this truth, and then when you're given an opportunity to exercise it, you completely ignore it. Absolutely. And so, then you criticize the guy that brought it to your attention. Now, how many more do you think are going to do that after seeing what scathing attack came to the guy that brought it to your attention? Uh, yeah, if, if they understand that and if they're privy to that information, that's that's what I say. This stuff uh, is, is all about access. Um, we see it played out before us day by day, if you do not have the access to the information, you don't know. Yeah. And in the in these church ecclesiastical organizations, likewise, the same applies. If, if you do not know and are not privy to the information that is necessary for you to have, then you simply don't know. And so as a result, the machine just keeps going right on. And what is it doing? According to Christ, it is grinding out those who will be thrown with that millstone about their neck because they're causing the little ones to stumble. One of the first things that we lamented is how many more are going to be caused to stumble because what has to happen is there has to be a stumbling. And look at how many said this is a farce. Look at how many said this is not real. I mean, we we know people that are still affected by various other aspects that occurred as well, and um, they likewise have stepped away and said, 
you know, this this is a farce, this is a sham, this is not real. Uh, these people, at least, are not real or, or whatever. And it causes a lot of very good people to stumble and fall away from their first love or their belief because it it's damaging. It's very much what we're seeing right now in America. When you look at rule by law, let's say, and you say we're a nation of laws, and you see that the laws are not applicable anymore, it it undermines the entire institution of law, doesn't it? Absolutely, and that is exactly what we're saying. We have remedy, and remedy is being ignored. Yes. The remedy is ignored, and what does that do? It does harm to the institution. It destroys the institution, it divides it, and divided we fall. The divided we fall. So, um, and again, and again, not only divided, but it weakens. It continually weakens. You see, what Christ was teaching us was how to be as one and how to effectively rule the kingdom. Now, you want... You want to talk about a grand plan where God has commissioned a people to rule a kingdom, not in arrogance of authority, but in humble servantship. To rule the nation, to rule the the kingdom, which is the entire creation. Ever since the beginning, what were we told? Take dominion. Take dominion. But Obviously, God kept seeing that man was incapable of taking dominion, properly taking dominion of the kingdom in the way in which the the dominion was to be exercised. So he commissioned a people to become the instrument, the tool for the kingdom. But do you see here where you have to have the subservient in order to work the the remedy. Exactly. Environmentalists. Okay, hold on. Environmentalists. Environmentalists, instead of doing what they're doing and the ways that they've been going about it, or whatever you want to call them, envir- you know, uh, those that are concerned about environment, if they uh-huh. do it in the servant relationship, then they become stewards, and they do not want to take anything away from you from the environment, but they are advocates and servants for the care of the environment. That is the servant-dominion relationship. So we've got all these isms that are vying and competing, but yet none of them really are becoming subservient and is service-oriented to the kingdom. And so, as a result, all we have is continued chaos. Well, tie in 19 and 20. All right. Because obviously he's already said it once. Because he starts out with, again, I say to you. Again. 
I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them. So the two of you, you and I, you've had a controversy that you brought to me. Uh And we sit down and you air this controversy and this issue and I humbly submit and say, you're right, Russell, I have grossly erred. I have sinned. And, And all sin is against God. And so you bind this sin and you appeal to the heaven uh, you, you, you do uh, it you you appeal to the throne of heaven in my behalf and the two of us together to bind this this sin and to cast it away well then therefore the word promises that it shall be done for them right that's what it says, Doug. And so all he's doing is reiterating. He's reiterating what he just said. Russell and Doug got together. They got together and they said, "Brother, you've sinned, and this is not right." And and, and I'm appealing to you in a, in my humble and servant relationship that you change your behavior, you change your ways, you change your sinning ways because you're going to cause all of Israel to sin, or you're going to cause God to bring wrath upon us for the sin. And so um, we're still talking in the same context. Uh, The two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything. And for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. So he gives us a promise, a promise to us that, where these things are done and you've bound each other back to God or you've loosed this from God, God is going to take that that sinner. And now, you know, his Christ tells us earlier in this in the chapter that their angels do always, you know, uh sit before the face of God, and I'm paraphrasing of course. And and so essentially now God has this this sinner, if you will, that's been cast out. He's been loosed, and God is taking note of that. Now, what God does with that individual from thenceforth is His prerogative. But we are, according to the Scripture, told to tackle this this way: bind it and loose it, if it will not adhere to the the duty and the responsibility of the of the kingdom servant. Well, as I remember, Doug, this is different teaching than what our former pastor taught on this. Do you remember? Yeah, the sense of the binding and loosing that yeah. that he it it's as though he took it out of context. I am trying to remember, um, is this the only place, uh, 
because he may have been using another scripture. Uh, so let me just quickly review and see if I have another scripture. Um, well, if I'm right, if I'm right, that tells me something. Well, you know, one of the things that I remember from the pastor, and I, I'm not searching now because I, this thing is on my mind because you you couched it this way. One of the things is binding and loosing, um, say, binding Satan or loosing Satan. Okay, because... If you remember, even the archangel Michael did not take Satan on. Whatever Satan is or whatever the understanding... Because, again, we go back to the book of Job and so forth, and we find that that God conveys that it was he that brought these calamities on. So you'd essentially be binding God or loosing God Mm -hmm. if, if you you know, correctly, um, you know, and and who are we to bind God? What you From, just read makes perfect sense to me. The way you explained those scripture makes perfect sense. Because it's in context, isn't it? No, I just should have to blame it on that. If it's in context, it makes perfect sense. But if it's taken out of context, then you can make it mean whatever you want. And so that's the secret to being a good, rich evangelist. Yes. So now I can't plead ignorance. I guess the dogs agreed. I know what word I wanted to check on, and I forgot a while ago, in which I will do. I can find it. The keys to the kingdom. Um, Instrument for opening locks. So, so we could say another word for the for the keys to the kingdom is solutions, right? To the kingdom, and I I would have to say that this appears to be a key to the kingdom, a key uh, message about the kingdom. 
Okay. Okay. So now it's your turn. <laughs> well, you know, one thing for sure is that in this scripture here, we don't see anything about binding and loosing any kind of demonic activity or demons or anything. We're, we're actually talking about what we bind together will be bound, what we loose together will be loosed. And I guess even the words themselves can be flip-flopped, and one could say, well, what I, what I bind is, is um, that I, I bind this individual uh, who is unrepentant from having access. Uh, so again, even the words themselves, bound and loose, can be reversed in, in certain respects. Um, so, well, in, I think you said bringing together, or did you not? You well, said yeah, yeah. The way I read it in con- the way I read it in context, I believe that that he's talking about what two of you are talking about, what two of you are in agreement on. What two of you have bound together, you know, is bound together. But that which is loose, which is let go because it will not repent, is loose. But as I say, I know there are some who reverse those words and use the bind part of it to say that I'm binding the sinner and the loosing part is that the sinner has been loosed and so I think that is in error and incorrect. I think the correct way should be the way that we just read through it for where to, uh, let me go back up to 19. Um, well, as, I as, a, say, as an example of saying this procedure in progress, I think would be with David. Remember when the prophet confronted him? Yeah. Okay. And David and and David realized his trespass, his sin, didn't he? Yes. And then they they came together because they realized you know, I mean, he was rebuked. I mean, this is what we're talking about here, isn't it? Well, and see, I the reason that I go with the way that I laid it out is because of the word bind. There's a heavy emphasis that you recall that I placed on understanding the word bind. When you look at bind, it means to, you know, fasten or to tie. And one of the definitions in there says, metaphorically, to, to forbid, to bind, to put under an obligation of the law or duty, etc. To be bound to one, a wife or a husband, to forbid, prohibit, declare, to be illicit. Okay, so what I'm saying there is that he's saying to us, what you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. So 
In other words, he's actually saying to us, if you are binding this sin and the two of you together have bound this sin and this sinner is coming in that repentant, humble way that he just expressed being as a child and so forth, then it's bound. If you loose it, because again, I, the reason I laid the emphasis the way I did is because of my understanding of what it means to bind. Well, my, binding, my binding is to put under the obligation, to put under the duty and the well, responsibility. See, what came to my mind was in this process a an, an example was David saying to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Yes. Okay. And Nathan rebukes him, and David comes to this conclusion. And then Nathan says to David, the Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. Because David had an epiphany. Well, whatever, whatever you want to call it, a, a, a check, what do they call it? A, Russell, what it is, is Matthew 18. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's an example of it practiced. It's a history. I know we're not supposed to keep our emails, but here's an example of Matthew, Matthew 18 being practiced properly. Absolutely. And so, so Nathan the prophet standing there, and David says, Nathan, go spit. I'm the king of Israel. Would mm-hmm. that sin be bound? No, it would actually be loosened, wouldn't it? Absolutely. And that's the reason that I take the understanding and will stand upon that position of that understanding. Not only is it supported biblically, but it's supported sensically, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I, I found that to be very interesting in contrast to what we were taught about demons and all that stuff. Uh, yeah, and, um, you know, a lot of that, a lot of that I keep coming back to, it it, it comes from Kabbalah, you know, and, um, you know, it, it's not, you know, my duty to cast dispersions and, and so forth, but you, you know, Notwithstanding, you have to, our duty and our responsibility, and Pastor Peters himself taught us, that we are supposed to not be uh, carried away by every wind of doctrine, and that we are supposed to study ourselves to show ourselves approved. And (coughs) so, if if we... if we can't have this conversation to study ourselves and show ourselves approved, then we can't hardly be very good for a kingdom because we can't even sit down and and have 
harmonious discussion, and even if there is no understanding of the minds or an agreement of the minds at the time, we've we've put it out in the best way that we know how, and as you said, then comes the point where you say, well, uh, we need further study, we need further understanding, and we need further divine intervention in, in our, you know, uh, in our so, study and our guidance. So, so binding would be agreeing and loosening would be departing from our fellowship. Uh, that's the way I see it. I base it and, on uh, the I base it on the context of the scripture, and I base it again on the context of your great example there in in David. And, David. So, and so one of our guys says, cast out demons and they will come. Point being, create this fantasy and they'll come. Yeah, and, and Christ never Christ never once said uh-huh. any, anything remotely like that. If you oh. cast out if you cast out demons, they will come. He he never he never once told his apostles go out there and cast out demons and they will come. No, his apostles came back and said even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said, well, don't marvel at that. So what it it sounds like is this: there's going to be a very thorough vetting process if you get in the kingdom. uh, Most definitely. Um, Amen and amen. There will be a a very significant vetting process. Okay, what else do you want to talk about, Doug? Well, um, I don't. I don't suppose uh, I have anything particularly. So, I sent you a couple of emails with part three and part four for some time when you're spinning up a T-shirt or whatever you uh, find best to to do your listening to and see what you think of those. I'm trying to lead us up to and give us some historical grounding. I think that's woefully lacking and missing in things a lot. Uh, We don't really know how we got where we are, and the the best way that I've seen to understand how we get where we are is to go back in history. And uh, history shows us a lot about what was going on at the time and and the lead-up to and the predominant thinking of the time and why the predominant thinking of the time was the predominant thinking of the time or why there was a shift in the predominant thinking. So um, rather than just taking this thing and saying, okay, here's the Constitution, uh, here's here's Article 1, here's Article 2, here's Article 3, here's Amendment 1, Amendment 5, Amendment 10, which I think I'll touch on those to some degree, um, but I'll let the listeners do their own study on those. But um, my the spirit seemed to have led me more toward once again the historical um, things 
that uh, begin to create the foundation and the framework for the idol that we are fashioning or that we fashion called, called the Constitution for the well, United States of America. Hold that thought for just a minute. Do you know who the the guy is Trump nominated for the Veterans Administration? He's a naval uh, He's a naval doctor, I think. I don't recall his name, but he's withdrawn because four people made an accusation about him unfounded uh by several of the intelligent organizations that cannot be confirmed. And this is what how the report came down. While I understand those people have a constitutional right to speech, uh, I'm trying to word this the way I heard it. I can't, I cannot, the speaker said, I cannot be angry because they have the right to free speech. It's their constitutional right. I feel like this has to be confirmed. Well, this is what you brought to my attention. They're giving them permission to slander. They get off scot-free, and it's damaged this guy's career and his family. Right. So it's it's mighty powerful stuff. Yeah. And yet, and yet it's all legal under the Constitution. All legal, all legal under the Constitution. The Constitution made it legal. Mm-hmm. And and that's why I say I think to me it seemed more appropriate for me, and I was led a, this way to take this that you just expressed and try to give an understanding. Okay, so why is this constitutional amendment of a free press? Why is that a bad idea? Well, because we're seeing it. This is why it's a bad idea, because there it took away the biblical framework, which was you shall not make an accusation against another without two or three witnesses. Now, we certainly see biblical biblically that there were uh, times where two or three witnesses stepped forward. Um, gosh, it's trying—it's escaping me right now. Jeremiah, maybe you remember um, the two people that were, was it Naboth's Vineyard? Were there two people there that came in to, uh, to testify and speak evil against? And then there was a second scenario, I'm thinking, so those two examples are escaping me right now, but so I'm not so sure. Just, I'll check though. Yeah, just because biblically we can have God's law, which says you shall not make an accusation against another without two or three witnesses, does not mean that it won't occur. Does not mean that evil people with evil designs will not procure the evil report. Our responsibility and duty as the kingdom of Christ is to have judges and so forth in responsible positions 
that when this controversy now is brought forward and it becomes the responsibility of the the adjudicative arm to be able to adjudicate on it, that they're able to see through the smokescreen. And so this is how far afield we've gone and why it's necessary to understand there was a point in time in history where the framers believed a constitutional amendment. It wasn't even the framers, in fact, or they'd have had it. It was others who didn't like the the framework, if you will, that the framers drafted in the Constitution, and they wanted extra protections and precautions written into it. And so they wrote in the amendments of 1 to 10, and which has subsequently been amended after, but those 10 amendments, which were the Bill of Rights, which included the right of the free press, um, you see there was nothing else. That's all they cared about was to make sure that they had the right to speak against a tyrannical government. Well, that's fine, but what about the person who speaks tyranny against you know, a, a rank-and-file person? And that's what we're seeing, more and more of it, and the Constitution gives them the license to do it, like you said. And where it really gets sticky is when a woman accuses a man of an impropriety. Because you're not not normally going to have a witness. So I wonder how God's Word deals with that. Uh, all right, so what you're saying is how does God's word deal with the false witness or false testimony of a female to a male? Yes. Let's say well, a woman says, judge from Alabama assaulted me. It was just the two of us in a motel room. Nobody can prove he was there. They can't prove anything. But she said it and she cried while she talked, so it had to be true. Well, and once again, uh, the biblical requisite is that she cry out. And if she cried out and there was no one to hear the cry, so if she's in a motel or whatever, she cries out, she fights, she bangs on a wall, you know, she pulls the phone and hits the zero. Yeah, she calls the police when first chance she gets, right? Exactly. And so, so this lady that's accused our president of this, she's waited how long? And did she cast the check? That's never addressed. Did she cash the $130,000 check? I mean, this stuff has, it it, it never ends, does it? Somebody's got to figure out a way to address this. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, 
The here's a simple, here's a simple way. If you're right, you go tell somebody immediately and get it on record, don't you? Yeah, well, see, that's not what she's alleging. This, this, this is this is clearly a defamation, and um, you know, if the activity occurred. And she agreed to keep that activity um, confidential. Uh-huh. Is that not an agreement? Yes, it is. And, and therefore, you know, she's contending that it's not an agreement because it wasn't signed by the person who uh-huh. entered into the agreement. So therefore, it's a non-binding agreement. Well, um there's a lot of judicial decisions and so forth that have been rendered where another person was not, uh, let's say, signed on the document, but they still became bound by the obligation. So I was just there's a lot say, of wouldn't the money bind you? Yeah, I mean, there's there's many different precedences which which create that. One can be, yeah, the 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 acceptance of uh, the instrument, which which is is the you know the the, the essence of the contract, you know, et cetera. So yeah, there's a lot of different uh, you know different court precedents that would be drawn upon that this woman would be bound under the agreement, irrespective. But that's what attorneys do. Attorneys get together now, and everybody spends money, and they decide. Well, what can or can't, and and then in the end, they spent a year trashing or two years or whatever, and the goal is, um, you know, obviously to trash, and in the end, were we successful with the goal? And all, that's all, all done under the auspices of the Constitution of the United States of America. Exactly, and and I think it was in part. I think it was in part one or part two that I've already done where I talked about the party system and where I showed how even the framers themselves understood. There's a couple of quotes. I think one of them was from Franklin about the parties. And he, maybe it wasn't Franklin, but uh, he said that, that what it would amount to, in essence, is that it's nothing more than a a way to attack your political opponent. And that's exactly what these parties have become. They are nothing more than instruments by which they attack the the other political opponent. And the Republicans always seem to carry the high ground in that they're not the ones that are doing the attack dogging. Um, and it's always the Democrats that carry it to the, you know, to the nth degree, and uh, and so um, it is what it is, and they've been successful at it, and it works, and many people bow away, and you know, there's lots of different emotions. Uh, some of the emotions is, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to cause the president you know, the undue difficulty of the appointment, so you withdraw your name and perhaps there's a better candidate, you know. Well, and the thing of it is, is it's all a compromise. We're looking for the compromise. 
everybody's willing to sign off on, you know. So that's the way we keep the status quo going is by, you know, getting the guy that, you know, will will satisfy, uh, you know, all political spectrums or whatever as opposed to the guy that goes in there and gets the job done and does what needs to be done, no matter how dirty it is and no matter who gets stepped on in the process or who gets tossed. But, Doug, one of the, one of the uh, news people said, we all knew he was no altar boy when we elected him. Yes, I understand. Well, that could be taken several ways. I don't know if you know it, but they got a conviction on a, ch- a priest molester yesterday, uh, way high up, cardinal. I'm, may have been a cardinal, I'm not sure. I mean, yeah. I was going to be an altar boy, would you? Uh, not, not certainly in a Catholic institution. <laughs> That's my point. That could be a good thing if uh, Mr. Trump's not an altar boy. But I don't think that's what they meant, but I'm just bringing that up. All right, Jeremiah, what did you find? Um, I found that uh, Naboth's Vineyard. Yeah. And what happened was um, Ahab wanted it because it was close to his palace. And he went and asked for it, and Naboth said he would not give it to him because it was his family's inheritance. Right. So Jezebel sent out letters saying to proclaim a fast or actually a feast. A feast. And uh, they had two men use him. God. Sons of Belial. Yeah. And so, uh, they stoned him and Ahab went and took the vineyard. Well, wait a minute, but say again, uh, maybe we missed that. You did cut in a little bit on your microphone there, so maybe uh, uh, they sent the two sons of Belial to make a false report about what was it again? Um, it's here. Let me. Where is it? It now? says it's uh First Kings twenty one. Yep. And I can uh, I can read the thing if you want. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, I'll go ahead and read it. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, Let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home sullen and angry, because Naboth had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed, sulking, and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, Why are you so sullen, and why won't you eat? 
He answered her, Brother Naboth the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard. Give you another in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel his wife said, Is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name, placed his seal on them, and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. In those letters she wrote, Proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people, but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king, and take him out and stone him to death. The elders and nobles who lived in Naboth city did exactly as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written them. Fast and seat in a Scoundrels came and sat. Jeremiah, you broke up that yes. uh, at ten. At ten. Yep. Right, so you want me to read? Yep. Um. But see two scoundrels opposite him, and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king, and take him out and stone him to death. The elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then the two scoundrels came and sat opposite him, and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. And so they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. And they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth has been stoned, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He is no longer alive, but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who rules in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Say to him, This is what the Lord says, Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? And say to him, This is what the Lord says, In the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, Dogs will lick up your blood, yes, yours. Ahab said unto Elijah, so you have found me, my enemy. I have found you, he had because you have sold yourselves to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. I am going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahabab every last man in Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, and that of Basha son of Ahijah, because you have aroused my anger and caused Israel to sin. Also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, Dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belonging to Ahab who die in the city, and birds will feed on those who die in the country. There was never anyone like Ahab who sowed himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel his wife. He behaved in the vilest manner by going after idols like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes and put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring this disaster in his day, 
but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Hey, now let's stop there again. Uh, you know, I was thinking about this when I opened it up to this. Um, this is another um, rebuke of the prophet to Naboth. And here we have there in that verse of 21, uh, 29, it says that he humbled himself. And so he did not bring evil in Ahab's days, but he brought it in his son's days. So once again, what happened was, and people would not like to hear this, but Naboth humbled himself. Ahab. Or excuse me, Ahab humbled himself. See, people want to think of Ahab as the evil ruler who did this evil thing and therefore... He deserved what he got, which was what his wife got, I guess. And they really never quite stopped to think about the association here in this scripture that Ahab humbled himself, and so God said, nevertheless, since he's humbled himself, I won't bring the calamity on Naboth's house in his days. I'll wait and do it in his son's days. So it's it's another one of these Matthew 18 scenarios, essentially, because the humbling was the binding, and that binding was only for a uh, a period of time or under the circumstances of the situation which God was willing to bind it himself. And then there was a time in which it was going to be loosed, which they would be cast out, and that was, of course, the punishment, the wrath carried out in the in the days of his sons, um, just just seems so appropriate. But nonetheless, this whole thing here once again is I was trying to highlight is that just because you have God's law which says you shall not bring an accusation without two or three witnesses, it's not impossible to bring an accusation with two or three witnesses. Yeah, I found it interesting that the elders didn't say any question. They just went along. Yeah, and and see, this is just like the kings and, and so forth. And what is our government? You see, our government we can look at in the same light as being a king. And the only problem is, is that with a king, you can string this king up at some point in time and put him to death which they did often. But in the case of this government, which we have, we can't pin anything anywhere, can we? have no recourse. There is little to no recourse available to us at all. We don't know who to go after. We can't, we've got so many different targets that we have to go after. It's nearly impossible to get all the targets. Yeah, because your uh, your Mitch McConnells and your that other Lindsey Graham's they're essentially just members of the press. Yeah, they don't they don't they don't ask any serious questions. Nobody does, do they? No. They just no. parrot the, the written script. Yep. 
and it does great, and, and again, it does great harm to the institution of law. And I find it very curious that that's exactly what the church world has done, is tell us that the law is non-existent. Because you have to do a great harm to the institution of God's divine immutable laws. Because when you have taken that rule of law and that institution out and done it great harm, you're basically under man's rule and man's authority and man's judgment, and who knows what that will be. That is a very good parallel thought there. They tell us that God's law was nailed to the cross. What's our law nailed to? Well, I don't know. Um, It's been... uh, It's nailed to the Constitution. It's ineffective. It's null and void. Yeah, yeah. I guess it's it's nailed to the Supreme Court. I mean, you know, that's interesting the way you put that because it didn't it didn't hit me what you were saying. And then when you did that, now think of it one step further. You say, what is the our law nailed to? It's nailed to the Constitution. Okay, now one step further is, you see, God's law was nailed to the cross, and it's uh-huh. dead, and it's dead. And the Constitution is, or the 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 law of man has been nailed to the Constitution, and what's happened? The Constitution is dead, and we're all but, saved by grace. <laughs> yeah, and and but in the case of the Constitution being dead, you see, our King rose again from the dead, uh-huh. and therefore His law is still binding and in effect. But if the Constitution is dead and in and of no effect and not in effect, then it's dead. It hasn't risen again, has it? No. So what saves us? The only thing that saves us is our God. Well, what would they say? They would say... I'm saying, what would they say saves us? And they would have to say, our intellect or ourselves, that's all we have. Well, one of the things that they will say that will save us is a constitutional convention. Yeah, or education. Yeah, a new constitution. Well, see, the constitution, well, uh, convention of the states, uh, that's what I meant to say. Convention of the states. You see, that's that's what we're being sold as the thing that's going to save us, the Convention of the States, where the states are going to come back in and exert their power, their proper power, authority, and role. And see, then we'll carry that charade on for 50 years or 75 or 100. And by the end of this whole thing, we'll be the same as the 500-year reign of, of Rome. Uh-huh. We're two hundred and fifty we're two hundred and fifty to two hundred and seventy years into this five hundred year reign here called the the 
North American United States of America as the predominant power of of the world. So, um, <laughs> you know, uh, I I don't know. I hope these messages are making sense. And uh, you know, like I say, I'm, maybe I'm not always the best at pulling things together and putting them down in the proper sequence of things. But I do what I do, I do the best I can in that in that regard. But I know where my thoughts go and how I try to, you know. So my point is, is there's a lot of historical data that I think we need to think about as we learn a little bit more about how we are, where we are at today. And mm-hmm. I don't, you know, people often it's said that history repeats itself. And, of course, mm-hmm. Scripture says there's nothing new under the heaven. So it seems to me that history is what we have to learn by. Well, you're motivated in hopes that you stimulate. And the stimulation, you hope, causes a change in behavior or at least a thought process. Yeah. However, having said all that, (laughs) I am going to retire to bed. I said, I bet you're ready for bed, huh? Yes, I am, and I apologize today. Uh, With the sun doing what it's doing now, I quit wearing a watch because I just it's quit. It's sun up to sun down, right? <laughs> and uh, I looked at the clock, and I I seriously thought we hadn't changed. We hadn't fixed it from uh, when they alter our time. Yeah. And uh, and I told True, I said, Call, send Doug a text quick. Tell him we're on the way. She goes, yeah. Doug's got a message for you. <laughs> and I said, oh my gosh, what time is it? She said, it's 7.35. It's eight, almost 8 o'clock. Yeah. And as you well know, Doug, when you're doing something and doing it right and in a zone, you forget about time sometimes, don't you? Yeah, you do. Yeah. But uh, my... I'm going to start early in the morning, and uh, I I think we need to close in prayer, if you would like to. Yeah, well, certainly. I mean, we had a great fellowship, regardless of the time we got underway. It was uh, still a very, very fruitful fellowship, so I enjoyed it. I'm glad we had it. And uh, Thank you. Yeah. So... It was worth well, every bit of what we paid for. We'll go ahead and uh, close it up here in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you, uh, as we've often said, Father, and it just bears repeating. We thank you for knowing our needs in advance. We thank you for the promise you gave us where two or more gathered in your name. You're there in our midst, so we thank you for that. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers about our leader. You've asked us and told us that we should pray for our leaders. And so, Father, they aren't the best leaders, but we're not the best men either. So, Father, we know our frailties. We know our failings. And, Father, we keep striving for that mark, that perfection that you desire us to be. So, Father, we pray for our leaders that they 
that they grow to be strong leaders and that they become the leaders that you desire them to be and that they humble themselves and come before you as a little child to learn and to grow in grace and knowledge and be able to be the effective leader that you desire them to be. So, Father, we don't always know what we do and why we do what we do, but, Father, we pray that you'll straighten it out where we're unable to or where we fail miserably to. And so, Father, we do thank you for that promise that you've given us, that if we come to you and we humble ourselves and pray and seek your face, that you are gracious to listen and to give us the desires. And so, Father, we know that you give us one little measure at a time. And just as in this case that we read in Naboth and his vineyard, you are willing to give grace and extend that wrath until a later date. And so, Father, we see you doing that in our country, here in America, is that you keep extending us a little grace, and we're thankful for that. But, Father, we would that we could have the kingdom and that we could bring about that kingdom, dominion, and rule that you want us to bring about as your servants. So, Father, we pray that you continue to guide us to be that servant people and to be those which you want us to be for your kingdom. So, Father, that's our prayer. We thank you for all the blessings you give us and our families each day, and we thank you and praise you and give glory to you for all of them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, guys, I want to tell you this right quick. Um, 15th century, this is about the word context. Comes from the Latin word contextus, a joining together. Originally, past participle of context, context here, to weave together from assimilated form of com, which means wither together, with text here to weave, to make. That's where we get the word textile. Uh, so, literally, context is to weave or to fabricate. And so when you take, using the, using the uh, analogy of the weaving, if you rip one thread out, it's all going to fall apart, isn't it? Yeah, it can unravel the whole thing. And you won't understand it until you get the whole thing. I mean, the one thread above it and one thread below it, you've got to have all those threads working together. And so I was just, while you were praying, I was thinking about that context. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's good. And it's yeah. important, and we say it so often. Context, context, context. All right. Well, all right, I'll brother. see you all another time. Good night, everybody. All right. Good, good night. night. Good night.